welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a kind of new podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies. Hey, J.D., will there be learning? Hey, Joanna, yeah, there will. <laughs> will there be science? There will be science. Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? All right. <laughs> if you want. If you want. Do what you want. I don't need a play-by-play. <laughs> what if the movie this week, which I didn't even pick, is 13 going on 30, and I just oh, like nailed it? That was on the short list, I have to say. Was it really? Yes. I also so very badly wanted to do Sister Pants. <laughs> I stopped, but I really wanted to. I, mean, I I'm I'm I think we're gonna do it at some point. I'm sure we will. Choosing movies is such a specific art. Yeah, it is. Um, and y'all listening out there, we love uh, contributions, opinions. Like uh, DM us your thoughts, your requests. Um, I actually like the the reason. So my last pick was The Devil Wears Prada. And I picked that because um, a colleague a couple weeks earlier had been like, you should do The Devil Wears Prada because uh, it's so good and you should talk about like work. And I was like, oh, we did Office Space and we talked about work. But I was like, but there's a lot. There's, there's a lot a of The lot. Devil Wears Prada to talk about. And then like a week later, a YouTuber that I follow um, goes by the name Mike's Mike, who's just like a funny person who just talks about things. And he makes me laugh so hard. And he did like a 30-minute summarization of what this movie is and I watched this like 30 minute YouTube video <laughs> of this like Australian twink just like talking about about the movie and I was like I gotta I gotta go in I mean I gotta do this it, it was is, fate so between Courtney and Mike I yeah. uh, had to do it it's timeless and it's such a like huge movie at the time but it has like sustained I think mm-hmm. uh, in how do you pick movies so there's a couple of factors. One is I go through like anybody that has given me suggestions. I kind of like keep a running list of that. Right. Um, like family, friends. And then the other one is thinking about like just really big movies, popular movies of the last couple decades. Totally. Um, and then another factor is like what is a topic I want to talk about? Totally. And sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. that topic is psychological, but sometimes that topic is like, like what's going on social. in the world. Yeah, like, social yeah. political. So totally. There's a couple of things that kind of come together, and then there's just a lot of googling movies, and see mm-hmm. like titles and just yeah. So that's yeah, how yeah, yeah. I arrive. Yeah, at, totally. At the choice. Yeah. I love that. That's how I got to the the Descendants. Was yeah. I was going through like grief and loss and I was like and I was like good movies about grief and loss and then magically was like one of these movies that I was like oh my friend wrote that (laughs) let's have him (laughs) let's see if he's willing to come on the podcast and talk about grief and loss yeah and he and I had obviously talked a lot prior to the the, you know about our own uh losses and things so it's yeah but y'all out there if you have requests oh we we are listening we love it we are sometimes it can be time consuming yeah. Just to like land on a movie. And like honestly, it, ideas are great. 
you know, we may not take, it, it, you know, we only do one movie a week and, you know, we get, you know, many suggestions and things. So please don't be offended if it takes us a while to, to get there. Or like um, some folks have given really amazing, like psychological experience stuff that's like TV based where it's like we tried actually Joanna and I yes, tried that was character our analysis as our first thing. And we tried to do the office and it was like, oh, no. This it, is too many Well, much. yeah, The Office is like 10 seasons, so that was, you know, like a big one. But trying to do Michael Scott in like one episode was yeah. just impossible. Yeah. And maybe one day we'll release the uh, – we'll start a Patreon and we'll release the nightmare. I mean, if y'all thought our first, you know, 20 <laughs> episodes had tough audio, just wait till you hear it's what our first 10 that were never released sounded like. Yeah, because we didn't it's have like, any equipment. No, we had no. I mean, I think I used a microwave, like a, a to, microwave? to make the Zoom meeting. Yeah, it was just like a microwave. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. So you, what's this movie? Okay, let's talk about this movie. So this movie. Let's talk about this movie. It's from two thousand eight. Okay. It is. I kind of went through all of the determining factors that we just spoke about. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the big one was like what's going on in the world okay so um here i'll I'll give you there's like six taglines um so the first one is after 700 years of doing what he was built for he'll discover what he's meant for after 700 years of doing what he was built for he'll discover what he's meant for Ooh, 700 years doing what he's built for uh I don't know what's 700 years old. Uh, I need an, I need another hint. Okay, okay. Um, the next one is uh, the newest sensation in waste allocation. Waste out. Al- oh, I love this movie. This is Wally. Yeah, huh? it's Wally. Cute. Yeah. This I movie was, is so. I wanted to do a movie that was like, I mean, super cute. I love this movie so much. Um, Wally is everything, but there's also like bigger, bigger themes here, um, about like, you know, the climate, climate change and what we're doing to the planet and apathy, um, and, you know, just lots of things that I think would be interesting to talk about. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to, I was like between this and idiocracy. Woof. (laughs) Yeah. Idiocracy. I don't know. I was like, is it too on the nose? I don't know. But Wally, Wally is just like a much more enjoyable watch. I feel like Idiocracy maybe at the time was like felt more satirical instead of just like a documentary. Um, right. And it's, yeah. Right. Well, and Wally is just so many. I think more people have seen it. Yeah. Um, and so Idiocracy, y'all, if you haven't seen it, get it ready. Well, it's going to come up. Yeah. We're going to hit it on it's this actually, podcast. It's actually, it's Mike point. Judge. So Office Space. And oh yeah, idiocracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love this movie, and you're right. Like, I do think, you know, for those listening, uh, if you haven't seen Wally, uh, it's on the 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 streaming. It's, uh, I'm sure on, it's Disney on Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, there is there is a pretty big human component to it, and it is yes, it's about a little robot, mm-hmm. but um, the little robot has its own little feelings and and emotions, but also um. There's a lot of humans in the second half. Yes. A lot of human in that second half. And so, oof, yeah, this is a good pick. Yeah, I think this I is think a very good pick. It will be uh, rich for 
mining and discussion. Oh, especially after last week's with Mommy Dearest, and we're talking about like uptightness and like <laughs> tension, and this is like about loosey goosey, silly human cuties. experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's do oh, it. Oh, that's so exciting. Yay. Great pick. Thank you. Love this. Eva. <laughs> I love Eva. So cute. It's so cute. Also, I recently almost had my gay card taken away when I said to somebody that the only parts of Hello, Dolly I've ever seen are in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you've never seen Barbara? You've never seen Barbara do Dolly? And I was like, I've never, I've never seen that before. I haven't seen it. Yeah, but I'm gay, and yeah. I'm like a musical theater Have you seen homosexual. Funny Girl? No. Oh, okay. Well, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I've seen of Funny Girl is Leah Michelle on Glee. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just got canceled. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, no. Don't turn off your podcast. I promise we'll start talking about <laughs> Wally right after the break. Don't cancel <laughs> us. Bye. Bye. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are back. I love this movie. It's so cute. It's adorable. I feel like I have chosen all of the animated picks. Did I? I think I chose Encanto, didn't I? No, I did. I'm oh, pretty you sure did? I did. Yeah. Maybe you did. Yeah, Check that's the tape. true. Okay. Check the tape. No, I don't Listeners, know. Listeners, let receipts. us know. It's true. We've got receipts. Maybe you did. Maybe. Maybe you did. Dang, I don't remember now. Anyways. I did this one. I did Inside Out. Was there not? I think we've done a few, but. Yeah. You said Inside Out, and I thought of um, Up. You were like, I did this one. I did Inside Out. And I was like, we didn't do that movie. We didn't do that movie. Uh, you yeah. are correct. We did, in fact, do that movie. Um, yeah. You love childhood and cartoons. Famously. Yeah. Famously. No, I. I needed a movie that was the opposite of mommy dearest i think (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this is like the most opposite you can this is the most opposite it is Um, this movie is just sweetness i mean it's also like pretty bleak in terms of dystopian yeah environmentalism like yes uh it is um should we summarize it for those who have not yeah have not seen it it. although if you haven't like you should just do it (laughs) yeah if you haven't (laughs) You're honestly dumb. You're weird. You're weird. And I hope you feel rejected. Um, if there's one thing this podcast is here to do, 
it's educate. If there's two things, it's educate and reject. <laughs> to reduce our listenership. Yeah. So, all right. This synopsisization is for you trolls who've never seen it. <laughs> so. Okay. So open on a dystopian, like uninhabited. 27. Earth. 27 something. something 2700. Like 2750. Yeah. And we see this little guy named Wally um, stands ugh, waste allocation something something. LLE. <laughs> For waste Earth. Al- allocation LLE. Um, he's very, he's this tiny little robot uh, that looks a little bit like Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Um, and he uh, is in charge of squishing up trash and then stacking it. And making it cute. And making it cute. And it turns out the whole planet is covered in trash. Yeah. And he seems to be the last one running. Yeah. You can see that there have been many Wallies uh, and that he's kind of the last one that he's come across. And he yeah. even like goes. And I I forgot this part where he's like getting parts off of. Yeah. These, he gets parts off of old Wallies that, yeah, that died. To kind of fix himself because it's a seems like a pretty grueling job. Yeah, um, self-maintenance. I mean, but yes. also, I think we're supposed to assume he's been doing it for about 700 years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's been a while. He has one little cockroach friend. He he makes friends with a cockroach the same day. Yeah, the only cockroach I've ever liked, I will say. You know, here's the thing. Fun fact. I actually think cockroaches are kind of cute. That's insane. I know. I You've think never lived in New York City. First of all, I literally have. Um, <laughs> second of all, I live in Los Angeles where they have them a plenty. I've, I've never heard of it. I've uh, never heard of LA. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's this tiny little provincial town, little town <laughs> full of quiet people. Uh, no, and I think it's because I always saw cockroaches on like TV and movies, and I was like, huh, that's the big city. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's he, he meets a cockroach. We'll yes. call him Cockroach. Yeah. And he comes friends with the cockroach, and the cockroach follows him everywhere, and they seem it to be the last like two. Little, it's like a, a pet or something because he feeds it with Twinkies. That's right. It's so it was cute. actually very cute. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the Twinkies are still there 700 years later. Yeah. Like the, there's so many jokes in this yeah. movie that are non spoken because Wally doesn't fully speak other than to say his name and Eve's name. Um, right. Spoiler alert. Uh oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, Wally is uh, a little trash robot. Um, my nickname for Joanna. And <laughs> <laughs> and um, he uh, becomes friends with the cockroach. He's obsessed with uh, Hello Dolly. Mm-hmm. Watches it all the time. It's Watches interesting. It the time. There's like some footage of the president, uh, Fred Willard. Yeah. Like uh, the president, RIP. The, of the company. Yeah, of the company. And seemingly like the president. Like he just seems in charge of everything. Yeah. He's in um, charge of the the company that puts everybody on space cruises. Right. Um, um, but yeah. he's like a, a human person. Yeah. And then like he's, you he's see. He's not animated. Yeah. You see that over time they become cartoons essentially. Like in the wall of all the captains of the ship, they started out as non-animated yeah. <laughs> and then they become these like like boneless little they have bones they're just not connected they're very anymore. Tiny. <laughs> yeah. yeah um so 
Wally is uh, out and about landscaping, trashscaping, and all of a sudden a giant ship drops down and plops out this cute little Apple robot mm-hmm. named Eva. Uh, and he is immediately like attacked, but he like decides to like hide and follow this like robot that he sees and is like immediately in love with. Robot mm-hmm. love. It could be just like extreme loneliness of just any other thing to interact with. Wow. I would just say. Wow. The cockroach um, wasn't doing it. The cockroach wasn't doing it. Uh, so he sees this like very high tech white plastic robot follows mm-hmm. her around follows her around and eventually manages to kind of become friends with her mm-hmm. and they have this cute little friendship and then he shows her this one little tiny living plant that he found in a boot like that day yeah that day and he shows it to her and she all of a sudden goes into rigid plant mode grabs the plant sucks it into her little tummy box and then Closes up and just starts blinking. Like goes dormant. Yeah. Goes dormant. And then Wally freaks out and he's like, Eva. And and he then tries to like take her to do all their favorite things. Yeah, and tries to take care of her. Like tries to take care I, of her. He's not really understanding what's because he char- he's solar powered, so he tries mm-hmm. to take her out to like the sun and like get right. her some sun and tries to then, you know, keep her dry in the rain and doesn't know how to move her or what to do with her. Eventually a ship comes back. To collect her, mm-hmm. and she's still in auto auto mode, auto zone. She's in auto zone. <laughs> she's out of wiper fluid, uh, so she's in auto mode, and uh, and she gets brought up into the ship. And Wally grabs onto the side of the spaceship mm-hmm. and flies into space with her. It leaves a cockroach behind, which made me weirdly sad. Weirdly sad. I also forgot that he did that. I know. I thought he came with him somehow, but yeah, whatever. It's fine. It is at least somewhat scientifically accurate. That like they don't try to make anything breathe in space, right? Yeah. So Wally and Wally flies all the way to like galaxies away, like very yeah. very far on this little space cruise. Um, he flies all the way out on the outside of the spaceship, which again he's a little robot, um, and he can solar charge. So as long as he has access to angle himself toward a sun. Yeah, there's like a scene where he's very close to the sun and he gets like all the way charged and he's <laughs> really, like really all fast. hopped up on energy. Yeah, yeah. it's cute. And he makes a cute little Apple restart sound when he does it. (laughs) And uh, he goes into space and tries to track down Eva. And um, Eve gets brought up to the the captain's chair. So they're Mm -hmm. they're on the cruise ship and all these people are floating around in little squishy wheelchairs. Like yeah, floating and it seems chairs. like this, the actual work and stuff is all handled by robots. Like when they land, the robots are yeah opening up the spaceship, like getting Eve out. Even the first entity that they tell is autopilot, not the actual pilot. Right. And autopilot is a sentient, artificially intelligent steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So, yeah, so this this comes in. Uh, you see that there's people on these sort of automated little hovery chairs that they just sort of like look at TVs and drink Slurpees all day mm-hmm. long on a big giant space cruise ship. Mm-hmm. And the pilot is just like the rest of them where his whole job is to like get up and say that it's daytime and then like say hey and then like that's it. He just makes yeah. announcements. Mm-hmm. The captain of the ship. And autopilot finds out that there's a plant. And scoops it. 
right? So he tells, oh, the captain, like, you know, you have to see this. And then the captain sees the plant and then is told about, uh, there's like Fred Willard comes up again. is like, congrats, you can return to Earth. But then autopilot starts acting weird. Right. And is like, no, we're going to just forget that this plant exists. And then the captain kind of commands him to tell him why. And then there's apparently like more footage of Fred Willard being like, yeah, there's no way you can come back to Earth. Like, it's autopilot. Yeah, an autopilot. You're in charge. Just like you know, don't don't come back to Earth. So Ever. it seems like there's some. You live in space forever. Yeah, this different uh, information that I guess was to preserve their like sanity and keep them going. Sure, and so they uh, they try to get the plant. They open up Eve. She wakes up, uh, and autopilot has now swiped the plant and and so when they try to open it up the captain can't even find the plant Mm -hmm. it's gone wally these last events are very chaotic yeah it's it's really chaotic so the captain at first is like kind of overwhelmed and confused about like okay like it had been 700 years so he's never been to earth and so but then he started learning about earth and said you know it got kind of his mind blown by how beautiful it is and how and he got really excited about it so he's like let's do this and right. then he can't find the plant um then yeah autopilot starts kind of asserting itself more and more like throws wally down the trash chute yeah and eve as well and but wally has the plant at this yeah point. but they, then they're like there's a lot of like keep away with this plant right to, I mean, to end of the thing, what happens is Wally has the plant. He's trying to get it into the fancy little spot that it's supposed to go. Because if you put the plant in the little thing, it's automatically going to fly the ship home. Mm-hmm. The captain is being fought by the autopilot who's like mm-hmm. tipping the ship up and down in different directions. Which also like, I don't know how fake gravity in space works, but like seemed a little sus to me. Um, well, I'm just saying can't... I don't think this cartoon was completely scientifically accurate. <laughs> they also can't walk. I didn't realize that they like... Like yeah, that. they they really show that like humans are so fat and lazy that they've lost the ability to walk mm-hmm. or even like connect to each other. Like they In don't person. talk to each other; they just look at these screens, mm-hmm. um, which is like messy. Commentary. Commentary. <laughs> um, real messy. Uh, cut to they somehow manage to get the plant in the thing, but Wally is crushed. Mm-hmm. It's very sad. It's super sad. You cry a little bit. Mm -hmm. They fly back to Earth. They get out of Earth. And they, um, yeah, they fly back to Earth. They get to Earth. And Eve tries to, like, get all the the repair parts and and repair him and get him sun and start him. And she manages to restart him. Mm -hmm. He's, like, and he gets all his memories back. Yeah, although at first he's, like, not knowing who she is. At first is. he's just trying to be a regular robot, and she's so right. sad. Yeah. She's so sad. Uh, then, but basically they fall in love in right. space, and then they get to be, like, real boyfriend-girlfriend. And then all these uh, humans without bones are like, meh, we'll make it work. Yeah, and they start, like, creating Cleaning civilization again. Trash. Yeah, they decide to repopulate Earth. Um, So, yeah, a lot of commentary. The idea of, like, humans being these little zombies to screens and I mean that's like eating. burned in my head even this came out when like 2011 or something 2010 yeah, 10 or 11 mm-hmm. or somewhere around there and 
even like it's been burned in my head of like we are definitely heading towards that and i mean with the pandemic like woof weird yeah i mean i find it it is a very judgmental like pious viewpoint Mm -hmm. where it's like Oh, if humans had a choice, all they do is look at screens and they wouldn't be <laughs> friends and nobody would have their, nobody would talk to babies anymore. Like, right. it's like, I don't know that that's totally true. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, here's the thing, just from like a psychological standpoint, realistically, again, this is a Pixar film. Like, I'm not actually like reading Pixar. Um, I am reading them for their fat phobia. Uh, it definitely is a thing where like, and the worst thing we could become is everyone's fat. Like, that right. is a big problem. Right. But um like there there are a lot of like human instincts that are the the attachment to your child that you carry very very hard for that to mm-hmm. not be a thing when they're mm-hmm. like in this they like two of them are like oh look babies i've right. never seen babies but and also then the even more central one sex right like none of these humans are having sex with each other which like good luck like that I mean, is so there is some evidence that in some you know like societies where you know like birthing rates are going down and like like look at Japan like the the rate of like people being in relationships and having sex and stuff is like way down is the relate of people or the the rate of people in relationships uh as as well as people having sex like i mean yeah. is that just people having sex within relationships or like who's reporting this this is well i'm citing like the um modern romance like book that looked into dating patterns in different countries also 2010 or no 2000 that was like 2013 yeah something like that i mean aziz ansari whatever but like he worked with an actual like sociologist or something so there's like actual data in there but um yeah i mean what does sociologists know (laughs) just kidding i was a sociology major in college no shade (laughs) um yeah, but, like, you know, there's some evidence in some of these, like, very technologically advanced countries that, like, birth rates and just, like, romantic connection is, like, on the decline. So okay. that's, I mean, just two cents right there, but. Work, sis. Go <laughs> off, hunty. Um, but, I, I mean, saying, I agree. It is declining it's a cynical. and eliminated are yeah, also yeah, very different for things. Sure, like, people sure. are still horny. Yeah. Um, it's a Pixar, so like, of course, they're not like, oh, look at everybody screwing in this little sex tent. <laughs> like, it makes sense. Right. I'm just saying, like, there, it, it is, it is, I think, an overly um, fatalistic view of like where humanity is going. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the stronger thing is like the this idea of like, no, no, we don't need to worry about the Earth. We don't need to worry about the Earth. We don't need to worry about the Earth. And then yeah. all of a sudden, it's like, boop, um, we do. Which I will say. I actually had a weird moment in the pandemic when I was like very sad and scared. And during the election, yeah. I was like so worried. And I actually watched a video um, about just like all of the different like cataclysms and ice ages and the different like things that have happened to this planet. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, wait a second. The earth is actually going to be fine. Like it's been through <laughs> Humans. A lot. I'm worried about. Yeah. The earth will survive us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in a way that was like in the entire time that like we've been on earth, right? Or that humans have existed is such a blip on the planet's right. history in a way where it's like this planet has been like totally covered in water. This planet has been like a total like hot spot factory. Like this planet has gone through it. And it's mm-hmm. one of those things where it's like and every time it goes through it like 
animals like of course mass extinction events occur and all of those things but it's one of those things where like yes they occur other animals seem to come up and like take their places and do very well uh and then like you know an ice age happens or like whatever happens and you're like oh like it takes you know hundreds of thousands to millions of years for these animals to like evolve and have all of that stuff but i really i weirdly felt so much better just being like oh right earth is like y'all come at me like good luck as if you could, but it's really just like this version of earth that could sustain human life that we have to worry about. Right. <laughs> okay. I guess that doesn't make me feel any better at all. It makes, it <laughs> makes me feel so much better. Um, I don't know why. Uh, I'm, I, maybe I'm just not a humanist. That's why I'm a clinical psychologist. Right. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know why it makes me feel a lot better to be like, Oh, right. Cause I, life will persist. Just not us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a relief. I'm not a speciesist, okay? I think yeah. every species matters. and uh, You love cockroaches. I love cockroaches. Yeah. There's only a few species that I really, really hate. Okay, what are Mosquitoes they? Mosquitoes and ticks. That's it? Those are the only animals that I think, like, don't need to be. I really wish they just didn't be. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big fan of a lot of animals. <laughs> I don't yeah. like spiders so much either. I know that they're super important. Things. I know they're they're super important. But like spiders and bees who like hurt me. I love bees. I know (laughs) bees are very, very important and they're in trouble. Love them so much. Whatever. Love them so much. Anyways, this movie is wonderful. It is heartwarming. It is lovely. It is talking about like a really intense yeah it is really funny to me to have this also be told by disney Mm -hmm. where it's like oh screens and media are ruining the world (laughs) and it's like wait for real yeah because i got disney plus that's where i watched this (laughs) exactly i just went and saw a marvel movie last night like you got me hooked on some screens disney yeah they know what they're doing they do they do okay so Themes. Themes. What came up? I, so I actually, the thing that I, I I thought about this and I was like, well, this is a movie about robots. Oh no. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing I really actually just wanted to look into was love. Because, because they fall in love. Yeah, they (laughs) sure do. There's, oh, there's that whole scene with like, so Eva seems kind or Eve seems kind (laughs) of like not into it. At first, because she's like, you know, there for a mission. Once again, really... another narrative of a persistent man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just she's... bothers her until right. she loves him. And well, how she loves him, though, is not your stereotypical like man just like being persistent and gross. She sees footage of how he took care of her when she was in her dormant state. Right. And sees how he like electrocuted himself and just tried yeah. to be there for her. And that's when that switch, I think, happens where she's like, oh, I this is an amazing. I love you. Yeah, I love you. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's just it's so cute because it really is like a little robot love story. Yeah. I mean, you you are really taking on an emotional journey with them. And EJ. (laughs) You're totally taking on an EJ with them. So um, what I want to do is actually just look into the psychology of loving. So I kind of went broad, but I found mm-hmm. it really, really interesting. And so I knew a lot of this from grad school, but I wanted to pull some like terms, some sort of like classic researchers to share with everybody. 
Cool. Um, so a lot of this research uh, actually happened in like the 70s. It was like a big time when like unsurprisingly people were like, mm, what is love? <laughs> baby, don't, don't hurt, hurt me. me. <laughs> um, anyways. Uh, and so um, the first thing is a, a psychologist named Zick Rubin. Great mm-hmm. name. Zick Burn Man. Um, and uh, Zick Rubin in 1970 um, looked at the difference between liking and loving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so liking, right, does not have to necessarily include love. And, and it's important to sort of operationally define the two if you're going to do the research, right? Is there, they defi- like separate romantic love from like maternal oh, love? And, we about yeah. to go into it. Okay, okay. Oh, Setting yeah. you up. I got you. I got you. So um, Zick Rubin, uh, d- you know, said that compared to liking love is much deeper, it's more intense, and it includes like a strong desire for physical intimacy and contact. People who are in like enjoy each other's company while those who are in love care as much about the other person's needs as they do their own. Mm. So love is made up of three elements. A close bond and dependent needs. That's one, even mm-hmm. though there's an and. <laughs> uh, a predisposition to help. Okay. And this is a really interesting one that I actually think like the research now might be like, mm, but uh, this is feelings of, as, this, as, as, as it is said, feelings of exclusiveness and absorption. Mm. So it is like consuming this love. Okay. Um, and so within this, like um, a lot of the work that uh, Ruben did later was to find scales that sort of ranged from liking to loving to create this sort of like conception of love. That, that's some of the earlier stuff. So um, later on, uh, psychologist John Lee in 1973 did a book called The Colors of Love where he like put love on like a color wheel to sort of like consider all the different kinds of love. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically he found that there are three primary styles of love. And some of these of course pull on philosophy and all of these things. So one would be Eros, which is passionate or erotic, right? It's the Mm -hmm. type of love that is both physical and emotionally passionate. Um, Love for, as it puts it, an ideal person, which I really like that sort of differentiation, right? Mm -hmm. Love for an ideal person because guess what y'all unless you're dating me you're crying out with an <laughs> ideal person um says the person who is single um anyways uh the next is called ludus and so ludus comes from the greek word meaning game and this is the form of love that's conceived with like a playful fun not necessarily serious so mm-hmm. those who exhibit this um are often like not ready for commitment uh, are wary of too much intimacy so it's almost like love is a game mm-hmm. love is something to like get to to sort of achieve or reach or meet mm-hmm. and then the last is storge which uh is from the greek term meaning natural affection so this form of love includes like familial love between parents and children siblings extended family members this love can develop out of friendship aka you and me <laughs> um where people who share interests aka you and me um <laughs> And then gradually develop affection for one another. Therefore, it represents love as as friendship. Gotcha. Thoughts, feelings, questions about these three? I have so I love much that. more. But I mean, yeah, yeah I think we're, this is the one that's with the color wheel. Mm-hmm. What were yeah, the, the colors, colors associated with each? Uh, the colors uh, associated with each. Let me let me pull up the article. Sorry. Um, so, no, it's fine. Um, so... 
he uses colorology to sort of understand these different things where like red stimulates the body and mind to increase mm-hmm. circulation. Yellow is thought to stimulate the nerves, purify the body. Orange is used to heal the lungs and increase energy levels. Uh, blue is used to soothe illnesses and treat pain and indigo is thought to alleviate skin problems. And so what they actually did is they like used like different colored placebo pills and all sorts of different things to like figure out, um, this sort of color, this color theory. Mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, yeah. And so like, it's a weird, it's a weird It maps on to like the different. Yeah. Cool. This is, I mean, this is 73. So like, listen. They were all still coming down from the '60s, right? Um, all a like lot of, colors and yeah, they were still vibing. they were they were smelling colors. Yeah, were, <laughs> yeah, they were seeing sounds. Um, so then there's something called the stages of loving, or the mm-hmm. styles of loving. Excuse me. So different styles of loving um, uh, sort of map onto these differently. So mania, a manic style of loving, is like obsessive love, right? So this is Lee as well. This is in 1977. He expanded this to include styles. Mm -hmm. So a manic loving style is a combination of this eros and ludus. So this like passionate, but also like gameplay style Mm -hmm. of love. This representing like obsessive love, right? Mm -hmm. I'm both like consumed by the passion and also consumed by the pursuit. Right. Um, Pragma uh, is a combination of ludus and storage. So this like game of love trying to get it but also this like um this like familial thing so this actually represents like a realistic and practical love this person Mm -hmm. is actually seeking like a partner right they're seeking someone that would be family that would Mm -hmm. become a familial love and then the last is something called agape which is a concept actually i heard about in high school agave uh, agape (laughs) agape okay um agape uh which is a concept that i heard about in a sermon in church and high school, which is essentially uh, Euros and storage. So a passionate, but um, like friendly, uh, like familial love. And this is supposed to represent like a selfless love. Mm. And so um, keep in mind that emotional passion is part of what Eros can include. So this is what you often see in things like, um, like parenting, right? This like totally, I'm so enamored with you. I think you're the most incredible miracle that has ever lived and Mm -hmm. I dedicate my whole life to you, right? So this agape love is um, this selfless love. I have never heard of any of these terms. Yeah. Isn't this fun? Super interesting, yeah. It's so fun. Then there's something that came out in 1986 called the triangular theory of love, which you know I love a love triangle. (laughs) Um, So psychologist Robert Sternberg found his triangular theory of love. And so under this, he found three components, which is intimacy, passion, commitment, right? These mm-hmm. we sort of heard in the in the previous three. Right. They, they really map onto this eros, ludus, and storage. Um, so different combinations of these components result in different types of love. Um, combining intimacy and commitment results in compassionate love, while combining passion and intimacy leads to romantic love. Mm. We're gonna separate compassionate and passionate love in a second. Okay. but. Um, in this, he sort of believes that um, relationships built on two or more elements are more enduring because those based on a single component, just intimacy, just passion, just commitment, um, they, they tend uh, to sort of let that singular thing consume it and, it and it doesn't have a lot to sort of recharge on. Mm-hmm. Um, so these multiple things become the strongest and most enduring um, and also the most rare. Right. It's what we consider. It's called consummate love, um, Mm -hmm. which is really this sort of combining all three of intimacy, passion and commitment. It's the most enduring, but also 
the most rare, which I think makes sense, right? Yeah. To have to have all of these things fulfilled. Um, and, and, and I don't say that to make anybody question their relationship, right? Things work in different degrees to everybody, right? And I always sure, think, yeah. um, I've always heard the, the phrase like, if you're looking for like the one, you're probably doing it wrong. But if you're looking for like the 0.75 that you can round up to one, <laughs> right? That's not to say you're not hitting, you know, eights or above on all three of these things. But to hit to hit a 10 on all three um, is this consummate love. Right. Um, and so then this idea of compassionate versus passionate love is the, is the sort of place where I ended. So this mm-hmm. is in 1988. Psychologist Elaine Hatfield proposed that there are basically two types of love. So compassionate and passionate. Compassionate love is characterized by respect, uh, affection, trust. And so this um, develops out of feelings of like mutual understanding and shared respect. Mm. So this compassionate love is um, much more present in things like solid, longstanding friendships, um, you know, partnerships that are based in um, similar goals, that are based in similar values, where people really come together to form something together. I would say mm-hmm. you and I have compassionate love, right? We've, yeah. we've known each other for a long time and now we we work on things together, but we like love and respect each other and show up for each other in a way that is like well beyond the the, the parameters of like a typical sort of broad friendship, right? Mm-hmm. Where we have this like longstanding connection. Passionate love is characterized by intense emotions, sexual attraction, anxiety, and affection. Anxiety, oh, interesting. Uh-huh, right, which I'm, very into um (laughs) so when these intense emotions are reciprocated people feel elated and fulfilled Mm -hmm. and while unreciprocated love leads to feelings of despondency and despair Mm -hmm. i i was talking recently with a client about um, a relationship that they were having that they were a little underwhelmed by right and they were like why am i so underwhelmed everything in this is is good Mm-hmm. And we sat with the fact that it was like every other person you've been with has been such high highs and low lows that when they reward you with some time or attention or affection, it feels like you've won something. Right. It feels like you've done something right. But when you're with somebody who is like typically respectful, like texts you stable, when they're supposed to text yeah. you, stable, you actually lose some of the excitement and you lose some of that anxiety, which that anxiety, a lot of people can become really, really attached to this will they, won't they, he loves me, he loves me not kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, passionate love arises when um, cultural expectations encourage things like falling in love, right? This idea of this sort of free fall of this like total mess or whatever, when like um, preconceived ideas of ideal love, when one mm-hmm. experiences this sort of like heightened physiological arousal in the presence of another person. It's like when you see somebody and you are just like, woof, yeah, give me that right? Passionate love is really transitory. So according to Hatfield, it usually lasts between like six and 30 months, right? So it's this, right? It's this, it's, it's hard to sustain passionate love. It's what we would think of as like the honeymoon phase, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, ideally what happens is passionate love leads to compassionate love because compassionate love is really enduring, right? Compassionate love can hold time and space for um, for yeses and nos, can, um, you know, is a non-anxious, but is a far more lasting, a far more stable form of love. And so most people want something that can, uh, you know, can, combines the security and stability of compassionate love with intense passionate love. Mm-hmm. But to have both of those at once is actually quite rare. 
Yeah. How does that map onto the, what is it called? The, the triangular theory? Oh yeah. I mean, I would, so I, I think that the, that the thing where the passionate love is mixed with it would be the consummate love, right? Yeah. Would be where all three are there. But I, I, the thing I like about this compassionate and passionate love and the way that Hatfield sort of explores it is like, they're not mutually exclusive, mm -hmm. but they're also not a straight line. Right. You can have one without the other. Um, you know, you and I, I, I don't get waves of anxiety or emotion or, you know, when you text, but like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always happy to see you, yeah. right? Which is like, you know, like we're, and we have good days and bad days. We have the ability, the, the thing I always think about that like stands out a lot with things like compassionate love is the ability to, to disappoint someone or to upset them and not have it be completely dysregulating, right. not have it shake your view of your relationship right you and I have days where it's like especially like right where we work together all the time now every week where it's like mm -hmm. there are definitely times where it's like I know I said I could do this thing but I really can't I'm sorry right, but, right. you know what I mean or where we like okay I gotta record this episode I I love them so I'm gonna do it right but I would like to sleep and not do this <laughs> and all, overall we know it comes out in the wash right we're happy to be here we're happy to see each other we're oh, happy totally, to have yeah. this commitment and we are so grateful for what mm -hmm. we have but we, you know, and I like using you and I as the example, not only because the audience knows both of us, but because like we have a commitment to each other we in do, this yeah. thing that we're doing. And it's like a, an interesting way to sort of understand. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't know. Thoughts? I love that. It's so I love cute, that right? So much. Yeah. And I think I've heard lots of those terms sporadically and like, you know, just mixed in in places. It's nice to get like a timeline and also just like actual definitions to them because I think that's really interesting and it makes sense. Yeah, it's um, and it's so it's it's so interesting because love is something that we're told to think it just happens, right? When it's like no, like love is in its longest forming, in its longest standing kind of way, is pretty boring, <laughs> yeah. right? And um, you know, I've said this on the podcast before, but like I think about intimacy the way that Erickson defines it, where really intimacy is just the ability to to compromise. Mm -hmm. It's just the ability to be like, oh. So I want my thing, but you want your thing. What if we chose a third thing that's neither of the thing that either of us wanted, but kind of meets us in the middle mm -hmm. or compromise through, okay, today we do my thing. Right. And tomorrow we do your thing. Right. Um, you know, and like that kind of thing. I, I find that to be both incredibly unsexy, but also incredibly like inspiring and beautiful because it means that like love is something that with cooperation, you can build and, and achieve and that this idea of like whelp you better run into this per the one person that you're meant to be with which y'all know I'm kind of a I, if me saying that like I don't I'm not sad that humanity won't exist wasn't <laughs> enough of a cue like I'm I'm a bit of like a of a fatalist in some ways or a bit of a nihilist maybe and that like the idea of like meant to be doesn't resonate very well with me yeah. but the idea of a good opportunity that you choose to take I think is so much more um, for me feels like a much healthier, easier thing to hold on to where it's like, okay, cause you're right. Like you're never going to know if it's the absolute, maybe right. there is somebody who's going to check every single box with no conflict or with no whatever, whatever, whatever. But it's like, I don't know. Like my dog is like my favorite thing alive. And like, she pisses me off sometimes. <laughs> and like, I can't imagine a better dog than my dog. Well, yeah, your dog is a really good dog. My dog is a really good dog. <laughs> My dog is a really good dog, but so um, she what, and I have compassionate love. Right. <laughs> non That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, 
So what do you, what kind of love do you think we're seeing in this movie? I think from Wally, it starts out as passionate love. I think mm-hmm. there is anxiety. There's this sort of immediate, I mean, of course, like I'm not going to sexualize this robot, but to say like <laughs> he is immediately attracted uh, and it feels it very intensely and gets uh, and feels very anxious about whether or not, I mean, she tries to shoot him. Right. That's anxiety producing. Right. Um, and, you know, I do think it leads to, um, you know, supposedly, the thing that's interesting about this movie is, like, this movie probably takes place over, like, 30 years or something crazy, right? Although the plant is still alive. It's very hard I to was tell like how thinking, long it would yeah, take. Yeah, I was like, is this, like, three days? <laughs> this is, like, three days. Because like, the cockroach is still alive. That's right. The cockroach is still alive when they get back. It's very hard to tell. I mean, realistically, the space travel is a weird time warp because he doesn't warp on this spaceship. The ship warps back. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense that it could be quite quick. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you would think it would take years years it should for him to just like glide along in space but the technology is very convenient i'm starting to think that this is not a documentary (laughs) you know what we tried to break our rule but and we were like let's talk about a real thing that happened to real people happened yeah that science made in 700 years um i mean if fred willard's in it it has to be real somewhat i what do you mean I'm kidding. I'm doing oh, I was like, what? <laughs> no, no, this is a cartoon about robots. It's not right, real. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that there is compassionate love at the end, though, right? Where there's this yeah. like, mutual respect and, like, companionship kind of thing. Yeah. No, I it's think so. Cute. I think, it, it, like, it does feel, um, you know, she really is willing to, like, uh, she feels willing to just like be with him regardless of like what whether his like robot brain comes back which is quite cute um but i will say like maybe she's also still in this like passionate phase right like it's hard to say we want it to land in this like long-term kind of thing but like it may still be impassionate to be honest she feels pretty elated and fulfilled yeah, maybe and, it's and just when he's like not able to reciprocate stage. her love, she does have feelings of despondency and despair, <laughs> which I suppose you could feel at the end of a compassionate love. If you just stop texting me back, I'd be devastated. Yeah, I, I'd lose my mind. <laughs> Everyone in the audience is like, "Oh my gosh, has he literally been Australian this, this whole, time? whole time? The whole time." Um, no. So I, I mean, I think. I love that. I think I was interested in the emotion more generally. So not like the love specifically, but like I was just very uh, impressed or like freaked out. I don't know uh, about how effective the creators of this movie were in getting us to empathize and understand the emotions of robots yeah um and so that led me down this like whole road of like effective computing um and so understanding how effective affective affective. yeah affective yeah yeah, so like understanding how to kind of imbue emotions into our technology yeah um and the reasons like why that happens and stuff and also also just like anthropomorphism in general 
Well, and for those listening in in mental health and psychology, we use the word affect, like a, like in cause and effect or affect. Mm-hmm. Uh, affect refers to emotion, emotionality, and emotionals, yes. uh, emotionals, <laughs> and emotions, which is a very like in the in the industry. So when we say like affective, we're talking about the emotional quality of something. Sorry, yes. just wanted to name no, that because we get so stuck in our. <laughs> I know little, it's a good distinction. Um, but you know, I think just looking at how the creators like, uh, made the, like Wally and Eve behave because there's a lot of like bodily expression. Yeah. It's a lot of physical expression and physical expression and even their vocalizations that like, um, convey certain emotions. So even Mm -hmm. just like the speed with which they move limbs or like how their eyes are moving. Right. And so wally especially wally they use a lot of eyebrow sort of uh facial recognition or facial um emotional recognition totally and so there's like um lots of studies looking at kind of different levels of robotics and how human they are to see how likely people are to anthropomorphize them and or feel empathy for them um so there's like you know some studies that have looked at uh just like different levels of so there's like one just like web-based experiment where they showed video clips of different uh like robots that were different levels of like had humanistic qualities okay and so people were shown to empathize more strongly with more human looking robots and less with mechanical looking robots which makes sense and this was kind of irrespective of their individual level like of ability to empathize so this is just kind of like not even you know certain people who are really empathetic it didn't matter so that was something that was interesting there's also this kind of more uh there's more like nefarious (laughs) reasons why people do this this is done in marketing a lot to sell things totally um like with cars with like all these things there's a study that looked at gambling and slot machines and um you know, the, the question is kind of like, do people gamble more on slot machines if they think they're playing against human-like minds rather than mathematical algorithms? Whoa. And so, um, you know... Because slot machines are all computerized now. There aren't the, like, just randomized... Right. And That's so, a slot machine. <laughs> it's a really good impression. Thank you. Um, but so, you know, testing this, this ability to anthropomorphize these slot machines. Um, and so they, they found that exposing people to an anthropomorphized description of a slot machine mm-hmm. increased gambling behavior and reduced what? gambling outcomes so they gambled more and lost so more, to, to the anthropomorphize the description is to make the thing human in the description so to, to refer to this as like this is dave dave yeah. is gonna sort of give it human like tra- dave is gonna try to beat you good luck beating dave yeah or even just like the game at hand like making it more humanistic right like yeah they're trying to get three stars because of this you know yeah and so they actually found that people will gamble more and be willing to like lose more money i mean slot machines are the most interesting like the amount of slot psychology in a slot machine y'all is bonk towns especially just the amount of psychology and gambling is wild there's a reason it is addictive it's mm -hmm. a game that is addictive and like this study this study at the end was kind of like you know uh we realized that like this is very valuable information for like 
casinos to have, but yeah. also like is very dangerous for people's psychological well-being and financial. <laughs> well-being. I love that. I love doing research where you're like, okay, here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's not like, great maybe that we're just this. disseminating this information now. <laughs> um, and so there's also this other part. And this other theory about anthropomorphizing, like why do people anthropomorphize? Right. And so there's this like study from 2007 that looked at a kind of three-factor theory of anthropomorphism. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so the first one, and they use these like really ridiculous words. It was very difficult for me to read this article. But one is uh, elicited agent knowledge, which essentially just means like people... Uh, are experts in themselves, right? We have this like tendency to be egocentric. Guilty as charged. And so <laughs> people have a tendency <laughs> to in- make inferences about others based on their own knowledge of self. Um, right. And so, but I really loved this because I didn't think about anthropomorphism in this way, but it said, they said, uh, using one's own mental states and characteristics as a guide when reasoning about other humans is egocentrism. We We know that, right? Yeah. Sure. Using one's own mental states and characteristics as a guide when reasoning about non-human agents is anthropomorphism. Totally. So it's really interesting. Yeah, like I was like, it is. It's the same thing. It's just when you're applying it to like non It's like, I don't know why this occurs to me, but like, you know, when people are like, oh, my dog was like mad at me. So she like got back at me or like, she'll, they'll be like, oh, she like peed in my bed. Right. Or whatever. And we assume that it's somehow vindictive when it's right. like the likelihood is that the dog was just like scared or like the dog was just like whatever. Right. We like, do- this, well, like- I have like, I mean, the psychology of dogs is like this whole thing, especially I feel like. Maybe me personally looking into it more now that I have a dog or like it just becoming more mainstream because everyone has a dog. Like, right. And so, you know, this dog psychology, like dogs are not capable of like being vindictive. Right. Of revenge. They're literally They're not, not capable of it. They're not. And, but we we infer things based off of like behavior. Yeah, totally. It's a big problem in how we like treat dogs. And stuff. Do you know who my favorite anthropomorphizer is? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Van Ness, who just every time they touch anything, will be like, okay, she is like actually like a gorgeous little sunscreen. <laughs> okay, if you it. actually put her, like you just put her all over your face. I it love makes me it laugh so much. So hard. They're so, so true. funny. Also, so true. Just, a, just a dream. Just a sweet little baby. Uh, yes, totally makes yeah. the show. Um, yeah. Anyways, so then there's this other part called affectance motivation. And that is essentially just like a cognitive kind of uh, tendency that we have to like want to understand, predict and reduce uncertainty about one's environment and the agents that inhabit it. So like not only do we just have a habit of like making inferences about things based off of our own knowledge about ourselves, what we're you know the most expert in, we also have a strong desire to like predict things in our environment and understand them. Especially like our dogs, right? Like the desire to understand your dog is like so strong. Um, And so that's kind of the second part of it. And then there's this sociality motivation. Again, this is all about my dog at the end of the day. Right. (laughs) But basically that's just like this desire for connection and social connection. And we see that in the movie with like, you know, Wally being basically isolated and wanting very badly to like, see love and ascribe all of these characteristics to this other robot yeah but there's also studies that show like if you induce people to feel lonely um they will actually like be more likely to anthropomorphize 
Oh, they're like to build to give themselves company. Exactly. That's so Which cute. is like or like Wilson and like Castaway. Yes. Oh my god, Wilson is like the best example. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this need for social connection. So this is kind of like the the triangular theory of of or like you know. Oh my god! Look how many triangular theory. theories know, we have so today. So many triangles. Um, but yeah, so I really like this because I think about anthropomorphizing all the time because of yeah. my dog. But also this movie, you're. I was just so like, I am so affected by these characters who are not that are not humans. human. Yeah. And who have these kinds of qualities and these movements. And, and also these... don't look human. I mean, they, a they little don't. bit. Eve, Eve at least has like the sort of general outline of like human. Wally does not really in the it's same the way. It's the eyes, you know. But Wally it's like, has brows, but yeah. Eve has brows too. Like they yeah. give Eve the little digital It's interesting, expressions. yeah. I, another thing that I looked into is creating gender, especially like someone's honors thesis in college was like literally about creating gender in Wally and how they Oh like you found one? Yeah. And wow. uh, I found Long, one about the Devil Wars Prada and I was like, I can't use this. That's too much. I I've seen I mean, I feel like every I find theses all the time. But this one I was thought was like kind of interesting in terms of like they are literally creating gender and it's a good way to study stereotypes because Totally. It is a blank slate. Right, with because which actually to start at no from. point do they use he him pronouns for Wally or totally. she her pronouns for Eve and we're like, This was a boy because it talks like this. Exactly. And so and this there's was these... a girl because it talks like this. Right. So there's vocals like vocal tone, right? Yeah. Also um, Wally and Eve are, you know, gendered names. That's true. And but there's also like the way that they look, right? So Wally being kind of more grungy unconcerned about like being clean and like his appearance and yeah. um you know just kind of like being straight boxy lines um mm-hmm. and even his job is kind of physically demanding and grueling and then you have eve which is like very well-maintained clean curves like only yeah. curves eve is 100 um, percent that bitch and <laughs> and then the, yeah the pitch of their voices and it's just like they could only rely on stereotypes yeah. to gender these robots, which did not need gender. But again, like, you know, I mean, it's a Disney movie. Uh, it's a Disney movie. Although I will say they are really like between like even just like Lightyear or I just saw Thor, Love and Thunder. And at one point they make reference to like, oh, look, space dolphins. And it was like they uh, they mate for life in pods of six where it was like, Oh wait, what? And you're like, and just like these things or like one of the characters is like, uh, you don't realize is all of his species. He's an alien. All of his species are male. So he's like, you just find another one and you and he hold hands and you walk into a pool of lava and that's how you make a baby. Like, cause he's, he's the rock dude. It's uh, right, right, right. Oh, spoiler alert. Right. Y'all. Oh, I want to see um, it so bad. Um, but yeah, so, this kind of I, we talked a little bit before about like the research that we did, but this mm-hmm. relying on stereotypes uh, to convey certain things kind of reminded me of how like machine learning, AI, machines in general, like have to rely on stereotypes because that's yes. the data available and that yes. can be very bad. Yeah. OK, that's actually the last thing that I did research wise. Yeah. Gorgeous little alley-oop there, yep. Dr. Whitkin. Very proud of it. So um so one of the things that I was also wanting to look into was, so yeah, the, the the thing that's really important to note, right, is that within this film, right, these robots are all created by people, 
Mm-hmm. So they are made, so it makes sense, right? Some of this anthropomorphizing we do, as Joanna just said, makes a lot of sense. But the thing is that AI that we have currently today is made by people. people. And people are racist. Biased. And sexist. And rude. Uh, I mean, and consciously so, and unconsciously, right? Like, I think it's important to name, like, this is not just, like, a racist correct. that you, correct. you know, like. This these... is not intentional. Exactly. This is not proactive, um, yeah, overt, uh, intentional uh, stuff. But there's so much going on. Uh, so I found this um, uh, this great article uh, from Time Magazine by um, an MIT professor uh, named Joy Buolamwini. Yeah. Okay. I've read this article. <laughs> yeah. Super interesting, right? Yeah. So essentially what she, what she talks about and a lot of what her research is and looks at is um, the ways that machines discriminate mm-hmm. and the ways that sometimes that discrimination in psychology, when we say discriminate, we just mean choose between things. Right. In colloquially, when we say discriminate, we mean it's a bad thing. You mm-hmm. have discriminated. You have uh, judged. You have disadvantaged. We've someone, chosen right? one thing at the expense of other. At the expense of another, yeah. right? So in this sense, machines can discriminate in harmful ways. Mm-hmm. So she noted when she was a grad student at MIT in 2015 that some facial analysis software could not detect her uh, face. Mm-hmm. She is a woman of color. Mm-hmm. When she put on a white mask, software could recognize her. Yeah. So these these systems are trained uh, largely on images of white people. Again, this is not intentional. This is not that the people making the software said, oh, we need to make whites-only facial recognition. What really happened is probably they were like, this needs to work on people. What do people look like? Yeah, well, and there's a couple, used, there's a couple mm-hmm. of things there because this uh, – Yeah, well, yeah, but a couple of, like, main things about the actual, like, training sets, the, the thing mm-hmm. they train the algorithm on – yeah. is often you know just because you're getting that from the internet from yeah. these like image databases totally yeah okay so we have the historical data that's like in these training sets in these image databases that exist are biased but right. then you also have the people who are creating these algorithms yes. who are largely like homogenous you know like they're yeah. people who are white or, or you know like um they're not these like diverse uh especially you think about like education like people who are software engineers data scientists like less than two percent of employees in technical roles at facebook and google are black exactly and so that is why diversity and inclusion is becoming much more of a priority for these tech companies not just because of like logistic you know like uh not just because of optics optics but because it literally their data is wrong, their algorithms are wrong because they're yeah. not getting enough people in the room that are like, why, you know, why is it like one grad student who's like, totally. I'm the first woman of color here to be like, totally. hey, something's wrong with this. So that's a huge issue too. not only like what is the data that they're putting into it, but who's putting the data in. Absolutely. And the data that they're putting in, um, uh, she she puts a great uh, number and she puts some good stat- stats and figures in here. She says that one government data set of faces collected for testing these materials and so for like training these mm-hmm. AI uh, en- uh, engines uh, was 75% men, mm-hmm. 80% of them were lighter, lighter skinned individuals and less than 5% of the people in this were women of color. Yeah. So it sort of echoes this pale male data pro- problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's, that's a big part of what's fueling AI. Another thing is uh, 
the guessing the gender of a face in AI. Yeah. And so companies have found that like performed like sustainability better on male faces than female faces. Um, companies that ha have error rates of no more than 1% for lighter skinned men, but as high as 35% for darker skinned women. Mm -hmm. um, and these AI symptoms essentially failed, like these, these even failed to correctly classify faces like Oprah Winfrey, Michelle Obama, and Serena Williams, right? Three of the most photographed women in the yeah, world. Yeah. Um, and so when technology can't even get these iconic women, it's time to really just like re-examine how these systems are built. And it's, and you know, when we say this and we talk about facial recognition, this isn't just things like, um, you know, what, uh, you know whether your iPhone sees you, right? The, when I came in uh, internationally, I, I got to go. I have I have uh, global entry. I was wearing a mask and got to go through a th a scanner where I didn't even have to take off my mask. It scanned my eyes and told me exactly who I was, right? So this means that women of color and men of color are more likely now to have to go through a formal immigration process, right? Mm -hmm. So just the understanding of the ways in which that impacts people. Not only is it uh, inconvenient. At best, it is inconvenient. And at worst, it is essentially saying that it is easier for white people to get away with crime, right? P police use... Um, predictive policing. Use predictive, predictive policing, right? They yeah. wear uh, body ca body cameras and things like that. And so even in that software, when we try to look through... Um, there are ways that like when we try to find... Let's say we try to find somebody... Um, they're, you know, the police are scanning different like CCTVs and different things like that because they have access to all sorts of stuff, right? They are more likely to flag as like errors or flag as like attention uh, like toward people of color, right? And because totally. they lack the specificity. So the, the generalizability that more people, I mean, and this is what we know about predictive policing, right? Black people are more likely to be um, accosted by the police, right? So people are always like, oh, they have the highest incarceration rates. And it's also like they have the highest rates of police in their neighborhoods. And they're exactly. most likely to be um, to be accused of a crime. They're most likely to be followed in a store. They're most likely to be all of these things. And we have so much evidence that shows that um, so much of why uh, black folks are in prison is because like for things like, we know that uh, people of color and black folks don't use drugs at a higher rate or even right. sell drugs at a higher rate right. than white Americans, but their incarceration rate is like eight times higher, mm -hmm. right? So it's one of those things where white people are allowed to get away with so many things and so if white people were incarcerated at the same rates as uh if white people were policed and and you know pestered at the same rates as people of color it would be totally different and so this these things like the ai is made by biased people the ai yeah. is made by people who don't see uh the error in their ways because it is an oversight it is privilege yeah i mean i think even the most optimistic uh, outlook which is like you know all like AI is made by people but all people are biased right so it's not even yes, like this exactly this conscious bias that they're totally. bringing in. even like predictive policing right it's this effort to do more proactive policing which right. is an effort to you know like reduce crime before it happens right yeah but they are basing those models and those decisions off of these predictive policing algorithms that exactly. are based on historical data exactly and we know historically that data is completely racist it's so bad. even if there is well like if it's well intentioned to try to mm -hmm. like help crime like garbage data in like you get garbage out right garbage yeah, in garbage, garbage out, out. Mm -hmm. so that's that's the problem there is like it it is you know one thing if it's like yeah racist 
people are like making AI and that's really bad. It's like, no, even if you're doing your best, it's not good enough because right. everyone has bias. Are racist. Yeah. Therefore, exactly. AI is made by people. I really like how you said that, right? It, 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 AI is made by people and mm-hmm. people have bias. Yeah. So like even even the most optimistic version of this is it's still a problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we we should do um, we should do something soon where we talk about uh, IQ. And mm. there's so much uh, to talk about. And so maybe I'll I'll find something maybe for next week oh, I or love soon. That. Yeah. Um, that intelligence testing is really interesting. IQ yeah. is a really interesting and racist uh, mm-hmm. construct. This was fun. This is good. This, this is more really like good. a cute movie to like generate such so cute intense conversation i know i love love that we watch wally and we end on a conversation about racism like (laughs) and they're like what do you mean racism the people were each like divided very specifically to be a diverse group of of lazy fat sad people again fat phobia it's really everywhere y'all it is if you're not paying attention and you think about like um this is messaging to children because this is a children's movie yeah the gender stereotypes the fat phobia like all of these things yeah that are so subliminal or so like embedded in this messaging totally it's a problem absolutely um great pick yay i love this i love i still love this movie y'all i've got i've got i've got notes but i still love this movie yeah um you're a star. I have been Dr. J.D. Barton. And I have been Dr. Joanna Whitkin. This has been another gorgeous episode of <laughs> Real Psych. Like, rate, subscribe. Tell a friend. Love us. <laughs> we love you. We love you. Thank you. Uh, we're really growing every single week, and we're so proud of, of y'all for listening, and we're really proud of us for being yeah. listenable. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting more listenable by the week because we're of- getting more and more listenable. We're yeah. really improving our audio and y'all have Trying. been in it in it to win it. We love We you. love you. Have a gorgeous day. <laughs> Bye. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.